I'm an entrepreneurship group, a buddy of mine, he's acquired like three companies. And the thing that he tells me, it's like, you don't look at 10 or 20 companies, you're looking at like hundreds of companies. And you have to be really willing to say no a lot more than you say yes. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today on the podcast, I have JP Lewin, the CEO of Foundy. They are a platform that allows you to find businesses you want to buy, or if you have a company you want to sell, they do that as well. Um, He is actually a second-time founder. He actually started and sold a company, but the process was so painful, he's like, I got to make a tool that can help with that. So I talked to him about why people should buy a company rather than start one from scratch, how you get financing for it, how do you figure out your investment criteria, how do you do due diligence to figure this out, what are the types of companies that are really popular on his platform, and why you should actually buy an international company, not a U.S. company, because of the kind of dollar arbitrage opportunity. So if you're at all interested in starting a company or buying a company and trying to figure out what's the right option for you, I think this could be a good episode to figure out the, the path to go down. I definitely learned a lot is, is it something that we want to do with our company. So really hope you enjoyed this episode with JP. JP, welcome to the podcast. You're pitching before. This is a a funny way to get a podcast guest. You emailed me like, hey, I think you should know about my company. I was like, actually, I think you should be on my podcast because I like the company that you're building. And and here we are. You're in London. I'm in Seattle and we're recording a podcast. Brilliant, Jim. No, we 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 had opportunity to welcome you on board as a, as a potential client of ours. And we then conversation turned and I think we had the honor of being invited to come onto the podcast. So no, it's great to, to be connected and make friends. And yeah, yeah love, love to hopefully provide your audience some, some insight and value um, to all things startups, M&A uh, and the like. Yeah, it's, I don't know if you call it like a, a recorded live sales call or whatever it is, but no, I'm excited, man. As I was creeping around on your website, you're doing some stuff really well. So first, what is Foundy and can you speak to the scale of it or the size of the team or where you're at in kind of your growth journey? Cool. So Foundy is an end-to-end digital platform specifically for business acquisitions. So we've streamlined the acquisition journey from the very start. So getting the necessary support and building the presentation materials, finding relevant buyers, it takes just five to 10 minutes to create an account. It's free. Then you can connect with buyers on the platform, undertake really quick due diligence, followed by legal documentation, and, and finally escrow and making sure that sellers get paid on time and hopefully a, a really rewarding valuation too. No, very cool. And so there's there's other options out there, right? There's places that have just listings of websites. There's like marketplaces. I can get a broker that's gonna be like, Jim, you gotta buy this company. It's the the hottest and latest thing. When you look at your positioning with Foundy against the competitive landscape, like what's that point of differentiation that you're like, okay, this is what has been underserved in, in the market? Yeah, great question. And and look, we have a lot of respect for various different platforms and, and traditional brokerages out there serving business owners and buyers. For us, Foundy, we have 
a very early mover advantage in the European markets, particularly the, the UK specifically, actually, and the UK being second or possibly the third largest market for M&A globally, about 140 odd billion trans of transactions last year and much higher in 2021. There's a huge opportunity geographically to, to, to serve the UK market. And then thereafter, I think we're seeking to expand more internationally, but yeah, we're, we're wanting to be that local platform with large network for local buyers, got a lot of US and, and European buyers and sellers too, but first and foremost, serving community here. So geographically, the average revenue is, is, is quite high. And likewise, I think just over 70% of the listings are profitable as well. So we're really seeking to go up market, focus on profitable, somewhat established businesses. Often they're bootstrap, but some are angel or VC backed, but we're largely trying to focus on bootstrap businesses, less so side projects. And then lastly, we, we, we've got various different features and, and benefits and services. We've got sell-side advisory services that we've made available and accessible for businesses on the smaller end, so 100K to 500K revenues, but also 500K and in upwards of 15, 20 million in, in revenues and just made that accessible in a way that traditional advisory firms don't necessarily offer. And it's all laid out on our on our website, founded.com, with each of the features laid out pricings there, which is, again, completely unheard of traditionally. You have to get on a call. We have to get a 30 page contract, which takes years to, to negotiate. It's super, super clean with us. So it's all about modernization. Nice. If you want to do international acquisition, through our first mover advantage, you guys are owning the market from a geography standpoint. Second, you're trying to be more transparent with pricing and they do have a nice pricing page. There's a free options just to browse the listing. There's annual options. And then there is like custom option, which is probably like very much white glove, which is nice. One like even question or concern I have is like, I'm like, okay, let's do this. I'm interested in acquiring a company. Why should someone like me that's here and I'm in Seattle, why should I be looking international versus the US? Or why am I dumb not to be looking international? Because a part of me is like, oh, that's interesting. But what do I not know that I don't know that could get me in trouble over there? Or maybe that's where my big opportunity is. Like, what, what would you say to me? Like, Jim, don't be an idiot. Look international. And here's why. Yeah. Are you speaking from the perspective of a founder or, or a business buyer? This is all selfish, this interview. This is me wanting to acquire a company. Like okay. why I should be looking in the EU or UK as opposed to looking in my backyard here in the US. Yeah. Cool. So from, from a buyer's perspective, particularly, there's, there's a lot of appetite from, from the US to, to the UK for various reasons, but there's currency exchange rates by all means are definitely in your favor, particularly in the last year. So you can get a lot more for your, your bang for your buck. Also, given that London or, or the UK as a whole is an epicenter for, for startups, particularly SaaS and, and fintech, it's got a, one of the largest ecosystems outside of the US. So it's quite a nice opportunity for American companies to, to, to acquire and, and grow UK or, or European based businesses. It gives you, I think, particularly in a turbulent time as we are with the economy and the, and the tech sector as it is. It's a great way to grow inorganically through M&A. So if you want to get into Europe or UK specifically, uh, growing through M&A is, is, is proven to be a very effective strategy. In fact, I've spoken to many large, in fact, a lot of the buy calls that I've had recently are from US-based businesses or funds looking, some of them have built extra teams specifically on corporate development, for example, to go and buy companies internationally. And that is to achieve strategic growth, financial growth, access new products profitable revenues, 
etc. Oh, you're speaking my language. It's funny because we're like looking even to acquire an agency or like launch a, a new side business or agency or acquire one. And that is a great way for growth. Even like I was reading Meta Labs that just went public on the Canadian Stock Exchange. They're now doing like 75 million in sales and they acquired like 10 agencies doing the rollout model to do that. And they've acquired other SaaS. So you're, you're speaking my language there. So I'm going to give my opinion on why I... So there's this idea of a movement of like, should you build a startup or buy a company, right? There's the book like Buy Then Build. I think that's the title of it. And I am a huge fan of this idea. I have not pulled it off, but as someone that I do love the zero to one phase, like come up with an idea and launch it, but it is painful. It is long. It is expensive. And your likelihood for success is so low the smart move is, hey, let's find this established company that's already done the hard work of getting to product market fit and start there where the odds are in your favor. Obviously, a big constraint is maybe funding, which we could talk about how you finance that. But what are some other reasons why people should buy rather than build if we're trying to like push that agenda? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the book. It's The buy, build, and build make, model makes a lot of sense. I think there was high appetite, strong appetite, particularly or accelerated since COVID. Those wanting to get into entrepreneurship, exactly as you said there, Jim, they don't want to get bogged down with the risks and delays. And how I see it is there's a lot of ironing out sort of bugs and issues and go-to-market strategy and things. Whereas uh, you could buy an existing company for a relatively reasonable rate and, uh, and then scale the business there, uh, from there. You are completely right. The zero to one phase is a lot of fun and just kind of laying the foundations, particularly with sales, marketing, financial model, et cetera. But the legal admin side and kind of all those initial hiring phases and making sure that you get all the key team members, that's the tricky kind of bit that people forget about when starting a business from scratch. Whereas you could, in theory, buy a company that has an existing team, some, sometimes, if not often, the founding founders want to stay on actually in, in the post-acquisition. So there's yeah, fantastic opportunity to buy, build, and and scale. And there's been incredible success stories of of of, of, of businesses of this kind. Yeah, okay, I'm sold. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. But like a lot of people are like, okay, cool, I want to buy a company, but like, how do I finance this thing? I mean, and I'm asked some dumb questions. Like in the US, there's the idea of the SBA loan where you can take out a loan and you put maybe five to ten percent down. You do have to do a personal guarantee, but that can allow you to put, I don't know, 50K, 100K down, buy a business with a million dollars. And well, I guess it depends on what the valuation is. It could be like a 250K EBITDA company buying it at 4X. But there's some ways you can really do this. Like, how should people be thinking about when is it like, who is able to buy a company? Like, how much money do they need to have? What are some creative ways to do financing if it's loans or seller side financing? Is there a way to make it more approachable for people? Absolutely. I think as with most high value assets, whether it's property or a boat, if you're lucky, but with businesses, <laughs> often, <laughs> often debt is, is, is kind of one of the most effective ways and logical ways of, of acquiring a high value asset or, or business. And there's various modern platforms and products and services out there now that are, are great businesses, uncapped, fantastic companies that have since built specialized products specifically to help acquirers buy a business 
um, and even scale it thereafter. There's, there's kind of growth finance. Uncapped, for example, have a non-dilutive equity product and the like. I think Groupos have, have something quite similar. But it's it, yeah, it's a fantastic way of, of, of buying a business. In terms of kind of the process, it, it's really subjective or, or at least based, sorry, on various metrics and of the seller itself. So interestingly, with, with acquisitions of digital businesses, a lender may first consider is the business itself that the buyer is taking a loan on, is it stable? Because it's, it's those assets that want to kind of protect that loan. And often recurring revenue can, can help a lot in these instances because the lender can kind of sleep better at night knowing the revenues are recurring and easier to forecast. Likewise, on the buy side, some vetting needs to take place on whether the buyer has you know, capable of funds, you know, financially stable credit rating, et cetera. So there's a quite a slick, quite modern vetting process for both buyers and sellers to speed up that, that loan process. But because it is, it's otherwise quite hard for people to get loans, to go out and buy 200, 300K businesses, you know, at least before these modern platforms and businesses like Boopos are on camp, so. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where remotely talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment, and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, Give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose. So yeah, so the uncapped, I swear to that, it's weareuncapped.com, which does look very interesting for getting financing. What was the other one you mentioned? What's it called? Lupos. Lupos. They're, they're, they're a specialist in, in this particular field. So, gotcha. yeah. Okay. So we can put those in the show notes. So it's okay. You're like, okay, I've got these options for financing. Now it's an option for me. I'd love to talk specifically on your platform. What are the types of companies that you have the most volume on of? And or like what are the ones that are in the most demand? Because a lot of these platforms will will choose. Some will specialize in SaaS, some will do like the sweaty, like service-based businesses or local businesses, others will do big enterprises or e-commerce or drop shipping. What, is there something that you're trying to focus on and what's the most popular in your platform? Sure. We, we, we have a diverse array of, of, of businesses that by and large, most common category is SaaS and e-commerce, followed by fintech app agencies, marketplaces. We've got a real diverse array, but most of them have a, uh, they're tech enabled, but more specifically are software oriented by and large. And I think that's for various reasons. And sure, maybe in the future, we might be able to expand further. And we don't turn away traditional consultancy companies, so to speak, but we're trying to focus more on digital businesses. 
from a buyer's perspective, they're easy to do due diligence on. When the acquisition completes, you can transfer the assets more seamlessly. You know, balance sheets don't have extraordinary depreciating stock as much with SaaS businesses, at least. Yeah, it's just easier to do due diligence, complete acquisitions and scale thereafter. So, but we've got the US businesses, business across the Europe and also primarily the UK, but, but a real diverse array on the buy side. I think we have over 4,000 buyers, but we're adding hundreds each week at corporate development teams, private equity, family offices, acquisition entrepreneurs, many more. What any, and maybe you can't say the names, but any companies that have come on your platform to buy that have caught your interest, whether the deal has been closed or it's just come on and you're like, oh my goodness, I should actually stop doing founding and I should buy that one. Like anything that's caught your eye, just so people can get more color on the types of things that are on the platform. Yeah, cool. No, <laughs> it is tempting by all means. And sure, maybe, maybe in, in the future, we've got a few VCs interested in us at the moment and we may consider buying a few businesses at the side as you know, the subsidiary of Foundy or something and, and kind of scaling them. But yeah, there are some really, really nice, nice businesses on the platform at, at, at the moment. We're, we're adding quite a few each week, actually. But we only approve, you know, small, small number that actually apply to lists just to help maintain the quality of listings on the platform. And I think over time, naturally become kind of increasingly stringent on, on that quality just to yeah, give good quality deal flow to buyers. But sure, maybe in the future, we'll, we'll seek to kind of buy some of the businesses for sure. In-house. Nice. Well, any specific companies? Are you seeing like AI-based SaaS companies that are interesting? You're like personalized e-commerce products, like Anything that jumps out, we're like, oh, wow, like, I'm really proud that company got listed on our site or sold through our site. Yeah, yeah, yes. We, we, just the other day, actually, we were speaking about it. There's, there's an AI company and it, it went viral. And then all of a sudden we, we switched the founder and they, they're kind of thinking, oh, should we, should we still get acquired? And I can keep it as broad as that, but their kind of growth just suddenly exploded and they're kind of like playing up as to whether they actually want to continue with acquisition because they're getting a lot of, I think they've had three or four offers already in the space of a few weeks. So, yeah. but, but, but outside of kind of the M&A process, their, their growth has been phenomenal. But that has been the case with lots of different AI tools recently, uh, you know, with this whole ChatGPT plugin and, and, and things. There's another business that we're, yeah, we're, from the from business that, that we've secured a few, yeah, a SaaS business, which actually went for quite a bit more than we were initially expecting, which was pretty good, uh, higher than the asking price. Another one, um, which actually is hopefully going to close very soon, that's going to be one of our biggest acquisitions thus far. Is that a, a SaaS All company points. as well, or is that something else? It's it, Yeah, it's a SaaS, SaaS business. There, there are some companies that we're working with, which are offline, so to speak, or like working with offline, off the marketplace. And we, we've launched a, a buyer outreach campaign service, so we can actually go into our existing buyer base, build a tailored list, reach out to that list with a kind of anonymous teaser. And then we can also build a list from our much larger networks. And again, send out very, it's anonymous. You can't really identify the company. And then that can drive traffic to the listing. And that, that, that works really well, actually. Very cool. Okay. So if I'm going on this path, I'm like, all right, I find a company that I'm interested in. Talk to me about, you know, what should I do to set this deal up for success? Or what are some common mistakes? Because I think a lot of people, especially if you're doing your first deal, it's like, oh, wait, what does it even mean to do due diligence? What what should I be looking at? What should I be factoring in? What what are the kind of 
like common mistakes to avoid? So trying to figure out how to increase efficiency of interaction and due diligence and things. And I think we've, we've made a significant stride in, in, in that. Yeah, just getting the facts straight, have some initial formalities, which I think is, is quite common in the UK, of course, polite calls and, and uh, a message, and then they jump straight into due diligence. But I think we want to avoid kind of inefficient back and forth, but instead guide where possible with suggested due diligence questions and things. So for example, one of the most popular questions that is often asked by, by buyers is about customer acquisition costs, lifetime value of customer, what proportion of revenue is attributed to recurring income and, and, and what is one-off? That's seemingly one of the most popular questions that's asked. Requesting to see financials that's up to date, you know, what, what can break down communication? Sometimes if, if, if the buyer asks that question, the seller then has to kind of prepare their Excel spreadsheets. So we, we've seeked to mitigate that with an integrated metric platform, one MPI, we've got 30 different performance and financial metric tools. So Stripe, Google Analytics, Shopify, Amazon, Zero, QuickBooks, there's lots of different metrics that we can pull through really quickly. So we're trying to encourage as many sellers to do that because it gives immediate transparency into the health, historical health and tra trajectory of the business, because you've got that live insight into the business, as opposed to kind of waiting for Excel spreadsheets and, you know, buyers are busy, you know, th things can happen. It's, it's like VCs, I think it's comparable. There's just so many opportunities for, for acquisition or investment. And I think it's important that sellers have as much information up front ready as, as they can. Because buyers like yourself, Jim, expect it, right? You, you kind of want that information up front because you're, you've got lots of opportunities to cross-compare. So, Yeah, we looked at a SaaS deal on another platform a while ago. And we love, it was like a, essentially a Shopify plugin. We love the wave it was writing. It was around live streaming video. So the technology was interesting. It had a decent amount of downloads and users. However, as we got into the data, what we really cared about, like with SaaS is recurring revenue and churn. And we, we really saw that it was more of an acquisition product than a retention product and had really high churn because people would use it, discontinue it, and then maybe use it again in a year. And the price they wanted was for something that truly had product market fit where we, we thought there was still a lot of traction that needed to be had. And the other risk for us is our skill set as a growth team is in marketing and building websites and doing design. It's not in like technical backend work. And so they were willing to stay on, but we just couldn't get there on the price with what they wanted. And so it was a painful process, but it was a good process to go down because it's, I think another thing, my, I've had some friends, I'm an entrepreneurship group, a buddy of mine, he's acquired like three companies. And the thing that he tells me, it's like, you don't look at 10 or 20 companies, you're looking at like hundreds of companies and you have to be really willing to say no a lot more than you say yes. But I think you're definitely right with, do they have recurring revenue? Do they have churn issues? Another thing is like, have they figured out their acquisition machine, right? If they're getting traffic and if, and, and a lot with sales, do they have a built-in or with SaaS companies, do they have a built-in sales team or is it a self-serve onboarding process where you don't need sales? So yeah, th those are all things we've been factoring in as we're looking for what's, what's right for us. And I, I see that you guys have a lot of services that can kind of help with that, especially if people are, are just getting started. Yeah, absolutely. I, look, I respect you. Vast experience in the space that you work with 100 plus brands kind of led to different startups to about 10 plus million revenue, I think I read. And I think if you can bring 
that experience to the table when engaging with, with sellers, it, it adds so much value on the other side. And potentially, who knows, you can kind of get a better deal in that regard and because you, you, you're well positioned to grow a business post-acquisition using your experience and team. I, I personally think there's a huge opportunity on, on the buy side particularly with software aggregators that have got various different companies in their portfolio. And they just take that incredible experience that it's like a playbook, really. It's a template and they kind of bring that to each of their companies. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible way of giving hopefully stable growth. Yeah, I think the roll-up model is so interesting. And so for people to know what JP's talking about, it's, oh, we're going to do roll-up of Shopify apps. And so you buy, acquire a lot of Shopify companies. There's We have a client, they do a roll-up of like HVAC companies, and they're trying to have the mini monopoly in a specific ge ge geographic region. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really interesting. And for us, we're trying to find companies that are really like marketing or inefficient with marketing. So where our superpower is, they're really weak or they haven't done some things. I, I love the examples of companies that are really bad at pricing where you can come in and just change around the numbers and then you double revenue, but those are probably a little harder to spot. So I want to get to like you and Foundy because I have a lot of respect for you and what you guys are doing because I think you've chosen one of the best business models, but one of the hardest, which is a, kind of a two-sided marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. And so because... You have to get people to buy these companies, but oh, wait, we have to get all of the listings of these companies. It's, it's two very big initiatives. And a lot of times when you're starting, it's like, okay, you do a marketplace. If you have an unfair advantage at one versus the other, like, how did you get started with getting traction in the early days with, with Foundy? Yeah, cool. So by and large, marketplaces models are somewhat more difficult compared to traditional SaaS models, one could say, but I think under the principle of, of, of network effects and flywheel, our goal really is to, to create that. And we can, we can do so through just constantly innovating, creating value at every possible angle. Like our team obsessed with like never setting for the status quo, constantly thinking about how can we refine this, how can we do that? Yes, we want to focus on the core and make business and, and, and model, making sure that works to maximum functionality but just refining everything. So we, each and every week, we're continually approving the, the platform, the service and the like. So that's key to get to that network effects that every marketplace founder really desires, the, the Uber and Net, uh, Netflix and the like. But we do have SaaS components to, to the business and that helps us to better forecast revenues, creating that recurring income. And due to the nature of M&A, everyone knows M&A is one of the most lucrative services of the financial industry and uh, you know some of these companies make astronomical amounts like the, the profit margins even from small boutique agencies are incredible but these are traditional advisory firms and we, we, if we can iron out a lot of the inefficiencies with back and forth emails get rid of that with, with instant chat we've, we can share files and voice notes and things uh, the due diligence phase if we can iron out weeks or even months of time through integrated metrics and the like what we can do is pass those cost savings on onto our customers, our buyers and sellers, and that helps us to generate significant revenues, breach profitability, and achieve venture scale, even with a low number of transactions, a low number of paying clients. So that's one thing to consider. Yes, we are a marketplace. It's harder, I think, than traditional pure SaaS, but we've got SaaS at every angle. We've got various different innovative, clever growth strategies to get customers on board in the first place. But by nature, fundamentally, our financial model allows us to charge relative premiums and still be considerably more affordable than traditional advisory firms. 
and it allows us to breach profitability yeah relatively swiftly nice and so you you had to yeah i love the approach using technology to pass through the cost savings did you have to build up the supply side first of having the companies before you went out or kind of chicken or egg which one came first as you were doing this or were you able to kind of raise them at the same time we can yeah we we can raise them at the same time i think in some months you might have a kind of a sudden surge of buyers for example and then kind of needing more sellers but it can happen in parallel but it's systematic in in this kind of positive cycle in a way that if you get more sellers on board more buyers are attracted because you've got more to offer the wider world to invite buyers to join Foundy's platform right so there's a kind of positive effect in that way but it happened has to happen at the same time but they're obviously very different types of customers on on the sell side you've got founders SaaS founders we could go into like hyper specific of who they are where they are and things we, we built that out on our, on our marketing but they're very different to a private equity firm or a corporate development team it's kind of the, the they like to view different types of adverts they, they, on the buy side. It's a bit more traditional, whereas on the sell side, they're, they're very accustomed to technology and, and, and willing to, they're more willing to kind of join an innovative platform. On the buy side, interestingly, some of them don't quite understand the, the principle of a marketplace for M&A because for years, for decades even, they've just received an email with an with a IM attached to the bottom or an NDA, and that's it. That's kind of the process. Now they're able to log in and view hundreds of listings all at the same time. It, it's it's a it's a brand new type of business, so it actually has to be some degree of informing, like explaining actually what what our end to end M and A marketplace is to buyers on the sell side. Often they just kind of pick up on it quite quickly because they themselves have built marketplaces or SaaS businesses. Right, so it's quite it's been a really interesting learning curve in that instance. Yeah, very cool. So talk to me about life before. Foundy and how it led to this. So it's kind of going through your profile. It looks like you had a company that you sold. And so I, sh- I assume that was huge inspiration for this. Take us back. Like, how, how did all of this get started? Sure. So, yeah, I always wanted to get into entrepreneurship. I think the opportunity is massive and just to have an absolute a deep impact on supporting communities, people particularly the startup ecosystem, it's, it's incredibly fulfilling for me. I absolutely love what I do, hence why I uh, unfortunately work until 1, 2 a.m. most nights at the, in, in this office there. I love it. It's, it's fun. Problem solving and the like. That's kind of my approach to entrepreneurship. And sure, I am financially motivated to a large extent. The, the idea of having you know, tens of millions or hundreds of millions is quite exciting. I'd be lying if I, if I didn't say so. And I think more broadly speaking, entrepreneurship creates... You can solve problems on, on behalf of large numbers of people. Great. There's a financial opportunity. It's incredibly fulfilling. But, but ultimately, I think it just, yeah, it just creates a, a sense of purpose, right? In, in this particular instance, my last tech company was, it was a marketplace, quite a few employees, and then ended up going through an acquisition process. It was a very painful, slow, expensive process, goodness me. And it wasn't glamorous by any means. It dragged out. And I just knew this, this, the journey for, for founders needs to be completely modernized urgently. And I saw success stories like Deal, Canva. Like Deal went from zero to 200 plus million revenue in three years. Now they're, what, 12 billion valuation? Insane. They did that for HR and accounting. Canva did that for graphic design and printing. Now there needed to be something for MA. And yeah, there just needed to be a, a UK based or even European focused MA platform. And that there wasn't really anything. And 
I, I just wanted to build. I knew the next thing I was going to build was 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 SaaS enabled marketplace, and um, yeah, it, it kind of came to light, and we're, we're now solving problems on behalf of other founders. But put it like this: I, I think there's a bit of chip on my shoulder, I guess, on, from the process with, with 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 selling my last company. It wasn't very, yeah, it wasn't very nice. <laughs> I learned a lot in the process, and here we are today. Well, what was the most painful part? Was it was it even like the psychology of it? Because I hear these com- people that sell their companies, and they're like. It's not like you're selling, you know, a, a a used bike out of your garage where you put it on Craigslist and it happens in a day. It's like a three to six month process. It's about to not close and you feel like it's going to fail four times to make you even second guess what you're doing. What was the worst part where you're like, okay, this this has to be different? From the very start, and, and I'm sure any founders that listen to this, the very start, okay, we... We had two or three potential buyers email and that in itself was really exciting. Wow. You know, we've created this business and now someone wants to acquire it and they're willing to like give us money. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, it's, it was quite a, quite a cool feeling. And then we thought, okay, well, what, what's the next step? Okay. We need to run an M&A process and kind of scrambling on the internet to kind of figure out the kind of step-by-step step. and you'll find your way onto these kind of ancient looking websites for advisory firms. And you're like, my goodness, like, We've just spent however many years building this innovative company. Now I have to go back in back a step and kind of work, like hand over the process to to the. I didn't want to do that, but eventually we we found an advisor, and he he was honestly fantastic. He's highly experienced, one of the major four consultancy companies in the UK, and kind of an ex partner there. And he, he was fantastic. But what I learned is kind of there's a disconnect between these big corporate transactions that take a long time to do and kind of slow moving but high value, and then kind of on the and the kind of sub, the smaller end, anything below kind of 30 million investment banks or big advisory firms, they kind of, they don't really want to get involved with. So, well, it's, some of them do, it's kind of not, doesn't take up their interest. Yet there's literally tens of millions of companies in this space. So that in itself was, was difficult, finding advisors. Then it was a, a process of getting in touch with additional buyers to, to run the process and making sure there's anonymity and you know, handing over the process and emailing them and it was just yeah difficult it was difficult the 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 information memorandum and putting that together and you know some of these powerpoints look quite quite old school as if they're kind of made in the 90s or something again it didn't reflect a modern software brand engaging with buyers having calls with them and then it goes into this kind of negotiation uh power struggle so to speak with with mm-hmm. respect to buyers and that is a skill in, in, in itself uh, making sure that you keep competitive tension, then you need to go into the illegal documents. But there's this kind of disconnect where you get into a letter of intent or heads of terms, and then you have to go into a period of exclusivity, and then it can get dragged out. And all of a sudden, the buyers have more power in that situation because it can get dragged out and you're kind of stuck. And you, the other prospective bidders that put in offers, they're kind of left back here, right? So it was a really, really interesting process. And I it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't very fun <laughs> to be <laughs> one of those stressful periods. And I think that that kind of fueled all the way through to the legal document phase. And that was incredibly expensive and inefficient. The back and forth and emails. And then there was a Word document with SB here. And then we had to upload that and then comments on that. And it was, uh, we eventually had to print out 300 pages, Jim. Um, oh my gosh. 300 pages <laughs> and manually signing them. And then oh. I think actually one of our investors, one of our investors, we had quite a few in my last company. He, he was doing a detox in the middle of the Alps and mountains <laughs> in, in Europe and literally a two week detox. And I remember messaging 
and be like, oh, you know, we need to get your last signature on the document <laughs> and, and he didn't reply. He literally didn't reply for a week and we needed that signature. And, yeah, yeah. and you know, respect to him, I and mean, he was hardworking and he was kind of just having some time off. It was in the summertime, of course. So just quite funny. But eventually we got it signed and deal complete. And yeah, it's, 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 but I was like straight away onto founding. Like there was yeah. no, there was no drop off at all, like straight away. And as I was saying that the fuel that came from that experience has, yeah. has, has been immense. We really feel passionate about solving this. And I think there's a huge opportunity, like commercially lucrative opportunity modernizing this process now and it's a lot of fun as well we get to meet founders every day and buyers and things it's cool totally no that's awesome well i love the like it's such a hair on fire problem and yeah. it's so fun when these problems get shown to you and you look around and you're like how is no one solving this this is ridiculous and i actually like the framework you have of this kind of these old antiquated businesses that haven't been i don't want to say the word disrupted but also we'll say innovated on in X amount of time where it's just the status quo, especially where people kind of have these really fat padded margins, where if you take yep, a yep. quote from Bezos, like your margins are my opportunity, especially when you put in technology. And I like that you gave the example of Canva did this for design, right? You've got a deal doing this. You're doing it for finance and M&A. Who's doing it for real estate? Who's doing it for legal or tax or all, all these other categories? I think it's it's such a great model and framework to to go after. I mean, when we like had our condo and we sold it, I remember selling it and just being like, this is the worst process ever. I cannot believe these fees that are involved. And it's, I wasn't as savvy as you to go launch a startup because of that pain. But I, I love the framework you have for attacking this. Thanks. No, I, I appreciate it. No, I can imagine selling your condo was, was yeah, it, feel, it feels like you're kind of stuck in the, a different century even um, <laughs> different documents and things and yeah I, the property space is kind of something parallel that someone needs to completely modernize buying properties renting properties like the documentation from it is oh my gosh it's is, horrible yeah it's, it's unbelievable but yeah no it's it's, it's it's been an interesting experience but yeah we really really enjoy all that we're doing and yeah, yeah. So one last question I like to ask everybody is what's the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career I don't know. I think I think there was there was an advisor with, with with my first business that you know we didn't really have any money at the time, and you know I could pay him as, as much as we could, and <laughs> and yeah, he was incredibly helpful, and he provided so much advice and things, and and likewise, you know, the opportunity to have someone on board for for family as well, and yeah, just having really really you know like a mentor or close advisor for, from an early stage has, has been incredible. And, I think they can help you get over a lot of costly mistakes and things. So, I know those people, that, especially as you're like going into the unknown, that can accelerate your learnings. That that's everything. Well, cool. Well, if people want to know more about you or Foundy, where should they go? Yeah, well, head head, head to Foundy.com. We've got a range of different businesses and things live on the marketplace, which I can briefly show. It often helps. It's visual kind of explain things, but so from both the buy side and sell side. So yeah, it's pretty nice to see your profile that has all these companies and really getting the data so you can move swiftly rather than doing the whole kind of song and dance. And when you reached out to me, was the, was the thought from a, a buyer perspective or was it something else? Yeah, I, I, I believe, yeah, we, 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 I think we were inviting you to, to come to the platform to see if there are any businesses that you're interested in possibly acquiring. Cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, you've sold me now on going international. I love the arbitrage opportunity. So no, man, this is super cool. So if anybody's at all interested in the the acquisition-based entrepreneurship approach, I think it would be a mistake not to to check this out. I get no no affiliate code for that plug, but that's okay. We'll, 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 we'll give you one, Jim. We'll give, we'll give you one. Thank you for the opportunity to, to speak with you. And yeah, hopefully we, we provided some helpful insight if, if we could, anyone could take away from, from all that was said. But yeah, I think it's important, broadly speaking, if you're selling a business, but particularly setting that critical foundations early on, because often people get told, oh, well, you know, it'll, it'll take care of itself. Just focus on the product, focus on the products. And then all of a sudden you get into this treacherous place where you haven't pre- prepared and it, it can literally cost you millions in exit valuation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Super impressive. Congrats on the traction in such a short time. But again, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. And you know, li- likewise, right, right back at you. Cool. Thank you. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthHit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A-plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.